This is the word of God. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Titus chapter 2, and let me pray for us as we come to his word. Father, we ask now as we open up your word that you will open up our hearts that we might receive grace upon grace. Thank you for the encouragement that you're going to give to us today. May we receive it, believe it, and then live it. Into your hands we commit these moments. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're thinking about gospel ship ministry in a hostile world. And that's exactly where Titus was on the island of Crete, a spiritually, morally hostile world. A world just like ours. How are we to undertake gospel ship ministry? To Christians who feel overwhelmed by the hostility and the hostility of an increasingly secular world, we need to remind ourselves of what this verse says, Philippians 3 verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got dual citizenship in other words. We're a citizen of heaven primarily but we are here on earth for a little while. And that affects, of course, what we believe. It affects how we behave. 
And God is not silent about both of these issues, our belief and our behavior. And that's why Paul emphasizes in in verse 1 of chapter 2, sound doctrine. Healthy teaching, that's what we need, so that we may believe the right things. And then he goes on to tell Titus about how to conduct life within the church. And we've looked at that over the last couple of weeks. Older men, younger, older woman, younger woman, older, a younger man. I've got that in the wrong order. But you know, all the different age groups were covered. Today, we're going to look at verses 9 to 15. There's a lot of verses, but basically we have two main sections. Gospel-shaped ministry in the workplace, that's verse 9 and 10, and then gospel-shaped ministry empowered by grace, verses 11 to 15. So we're moving, in a sense, from the world of the church, and we're moving into the world of work, and then looking at how we might indeed uh, undertake our responsibilities in both places. So let's, first of all, think about gospel-shaped ministry in the workplace, verses 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Gospel shape ministry in the workplace. At the time of the writing of the original letter, there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Would you believe it? 50% roughly of the population of the empire. And you could be a slave by birth. You could be a slave to pay off a debt. You could be a slave because you were captured in war. Some of them were very highly qualified. They could have been uh, doctors, lawyers, teachers. But many of them, of course, did menial tasks and were slaves for that reason. Now, some people are troubled by the fact that the Bible doesn't expressly forbid or is critical of slavery. And the main reason for that, of course, is that the Bible is not a book of political reform, but personal reform or spiritual reform. But actually, actually, Christianity eventually helped abolish slavery in many parts of the world. I mean, as the the message of the gospel spread all over the world, slavery began to die out. However, if you know anything about the study of mankind, man's inhumanity to man meant that he could cruelly reinvent slavery uh, or reintroduce slavery and has been doing so, so that even today, there are more slaves today in the world than there was back in the time of the Bible. And many people who get on their high horse criticizing the Bible for what they think is the stance of the Bible, many of those same people are happy enough to buy their cheap goods that are produced in sweatshops all over the world, particularly in the third world, which are really slave shops. So let's be mindful when we're discussing with people on these issues. But the point is this, if you have a job, then verses 9 and 10 apply to you. Our jobs often are the best opportunity to communicate the message of Jesus with other people. Because we're with people, depending on your situation, for many hours of many weeks, 
in many years. It's a platform, a platform for gospel ministry. And Paul had a concern that the Christians in Crete might make absolutely no effort, no effort at all, to use this platform for the glory of God to behave in the gospel way and therefore be a powerful witness. See, the typical mantra of a slave back in the time of the Bible was, steal as much as you can, lie as much as you can, be lazy as much of the times you can, even hit your master. That's the kind of mantra that there was in the slave world back then. And God says, you must be different. You must be different. Because if Crete is going to be reached, then slaves or workers, as we would move into our context, slaves or workers must be, must be obedient to the gospel and declare the gospel in the way they live and in the way they work. See, gospel-shaped living is vital if Crete is to be reached. Gospel-shaped living is vital if Ireland is going to be reached. So this is the clear and this is the needed message for us today. Our workplace is a place of opportunity to show the message of the gospel. We in the church must be changed We in the church must be in line with what the gospel teaches so that those who are outside of the church might be reached. I know that there are some restrictions in the workplace about what you might say, but we're talking about how you might live. And you're creating little seeds of questions in the minds of the people you work with that will lead them to the gospel and to Jesus. Because if we don't do this, friends, if we don't do this, failure is guaranteed. We've got to use the workplace as an opportunity for spreading the gospel. See, the public view of the church is, let's be honest, it's pretty low, isn't it? The gospel message in many parts, even in our culture, is... um, despised. And the reason, very often, is that many of us simply do not make the effort that's required. We don't make the effort that's required. We don't make the effort that's required. We need gospel-shaped ministry taught to us And then we need gospel-shaped ministry lived out by us in the workplace. So in the workplace, you'll see there, be obedient, verse 9. Be subject to their masters. This is what Titus was to teach the slaves within his congregations. The focus here, again, is on function, not quality. There is equality before God, but there's order And God has set up that order in the family, in marriage, in the church, in society, in the workplace. It's about respect. It's about submission. In the workplace, be pleasant to try to please them. You should be easy to work with. Make your boss happy. I'm going to remind the staff next time we meet. 
This is what the gospel says. Make your boss happy. Not for promotion, not for a pay rise. If that comes, so be it. But because it's the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Be pleasant. Don't be awkward or difficult. In the workplace, be respectful. Not to talk back to them. So, no arguing, no griping. Respect. Even when they don't deserve it. Especially when they don't deserve it. Because it's right. It's the right thing to do. In the workplace, be honest, verse 10. Not to steal from them. When we are dishonest in the workplace, it causes great damage, doesn't it? Great damage to our testimony. Great damage to the cause of Christ. In the workplace... Be trustful to show that they can be trusted, dependable, reliable, faithful. We've got to show it. This is how we witness. We can. Be obedient, be pleasant, be respectful, be honest, be trustful. And the purpose of it all, you'll see there at the end of verse 10, so that in every way you will make the teaching about God our Savior Attractive. That's the purpose. To beautify the truths of the Bible by our work practices, by the way we work. And by the way, this applies not just to workers, but to those who oversee workers. So if you're a boss, if you're a leader in your workplace, then this applies to you too, because we all want to make the teaching about God or Savior attractive. The word there, attractive, actually, is um, the Greek word is cosmio, where we get the word cosmetics from. So we, when we adorn these beautiful attributes, we either make the gospel attractive or we make the gospel repulsive. Because if we claim the name of Jesus, and then don't live like a Jesus person, well, you can see what happens. So we can worship as we work because great opportunities come from work and great responsibilities are there in the workplace. Gospel shaped ministry in the workplace. Let's think secondly of gospel shaped ministry empowered by grace. Because you see, what Paul now wants to say is that it's possible to do all of this that he's been uh, teaching Titus. Uh, Everything in chapter 2 is possible because of grace. You see, our spiritual maturity is possible because grace has come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read those verses again. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared uh, to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worthy passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our of great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. 
we can live this kind of life in the workplace. We can be good and godly older men or good and godly older women and the same for, for women. We can do all of this because grace has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. There are two appearings of the Lord Jesus mentioned in these verses. And Aaron, who very, was very, very brave in bringing the kids up to the front again, and didn't they, didn't they behave very well most of the time? The two appearances, verse 11, that's the incarnation. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. That's Christmas, basically. Verse 13, the second coming is, is his return, this this wonderful blessed hope and we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ so we've got Christmas we've got the return of Christ and we live in between we live in between and the grace that we need to live the life of the Christian to live gospel ship lives and to do gospel ship ministry is available to us because of Jesus because of his first coming and because He's going to come again. If you do not understand grace, or if you do not have grace, then you're going to do one of two things. And the first can lead to the second, sometimes. If you do not have grace or understand grace, at best you will slog on in religion. Or at worst, you will drift away in rebellion. And very often, if you've been brought up in a fundamentalist background, where it's all about rules and rules and rules and rules and rules and rules, it becomes a slog out. You just slog on and on and on. And there's very little grace and there's very little love and there's very little joy. There's very little about the fruit of the Spirit. You either slog on in religion or at worst you drift away into the waters of indifference or outright rebellion. No grace, no gospel ship ministry, no gospel empowered living and at best you slog on or you drift away. And if you slog on for so long, you just get weary of it. You just, why do I do this? Why? Why do I do this? So the sloggers end up becoming the drifters. I've seen it here in this congregation. And some of you might be following in that line if you're not careful. You need grace. You need grace. It's the only hope that we have. The truth of these verses 11 to 15 will set free the slogger and will awaken the drifter. Let's think of these things. First of all, what does, what does grace do? Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Salvation, that's what grace does. Uh, and he saves all kinds of people. Look around you. <laughs> look, look who he saved. Uh, 
It means rescue. It means deliverance from the power of sin. But notice that grace here actually isn't a commodity. It's a person. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He's talking about Jesus, the gracious one, the grace-filled one. And the person of Jesus has appeared to all men. And he came to save for two reasons. For our need, uh, desperate and critical as it is, is number one reason why he came. Our need. But secondly, his great glory. His eternal purposes. His joy. Those of you who are brother Presbyterian know man's chief end or man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify him. You see, it's all about our need, but it's also about his glory. Do you know why you're here today? You're here to glorify him. In fact, your, your existence here on earth is to glorify him. Your salvation is to glorify him. But of course, verse 11 doesn't mean that all men and all people are saved. As some might say, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace has appeared to all men, but not all men have received grace. Many reject, sneer at, and ignore the grace of God. And increasing numbers in society are like that. Some, as I trust many here this morning, have, have received his grace in salvation. And so I stop here and I ask you that question. Have you, can you put your hand up and say, I have been saved. I am being saved. And one day I will be saved completely. You see, grace saves that's where it begins. But it goes on, as we were thinking about in the adult Bible class this morning. It goes on to how we live, because God's grace teaches, verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The word teaches there means trains. Uh, trains us to say no to sin and yes to godliness. So when somebody is saved, he enters the school of God's grace. And, and we all start it in the nursery class. And we work our way up. We begin a training course under God and in his school. And it's a training course from which you never graduate. It, it just goes on. It's a process for the whole of life. It's the school of grace where he teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and yes to self-control, being upright, and godly living. Grace does that. Grace teaches us where we delight in Jesus and we become increasingly disgusted with sin. That's what we learn in the school of grace. Ungodliness. What's that? Well, that's anything that's anti-God. We should have a zero tolerance of all that denies God and attacks him. No. No, says Paul to Titus. 
worldly passions. Passions are the normal God-given desires and appetites that get out of control. Like there are many things, like food, for instance, out of control leads to gluttony or Sex out of control can lead to all kinds of sexual sin, including adultery. Money out of control leads to greed. There are many good things that out of control become worldly passions, and we've got to say no, no. But we also say yes to three things, to self-control. There it is again. You notice it's in verse 2, it's in verse 5, it's in verse 6, and here it is again in verse 12. Now, self-control, of course, is not in vogue at the moment. Self-esteem. Do you hear a lot of people talk about self-esteem? Oh, yeah. We prioritize that. I've got to feel good about myself. Self-esteem. Self-expression. Oh, yes, we're into that. Self-love. More and more of that. Finding self is an interesting journey that many undertake. But self-control? That's not so popular, is it? But self must be controlled. It must be mastered by the gospel. Upright, self-control, upright. Upright means righteous. No cheating, no stealing, no lying, no nastiness. We're upright in in the way we live. And godly living means to be reverent. No to the world, yes to Jesus. Guess what? I can't do this. I can't say no to those things. I can't say yes to those things. And neither can you. Religion can't do it for us. You can slog and slog and slog and slog all you like. You'll never get there. You have no hope. But grace can enable us to do it. Grace can enable us to do it. That's the good news. So grace saves Grace teaches. Grace enables us to wait, verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every funeral service I have ever done in my ministry, I always read from John 14. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Every time. If you do not want this glorious day of his return, then you need grace. Because the king is coming and he will wrap up the sin-sick morally broken and bankrupt world. The stage is set, almost, and and he will appear, and all eyes will be on him, and the whole of creation yearns for him. And this time, he's not going to come as a little baby in a stable, but he's going to come as the all-conquering God and king and judge. It's a day of blessed hope, and it'll be public, and it's going to be loud, and it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be final. It's our blessed hope. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, grace, grace creates this hope for his return. Grace creates this desire to see him. Grace 
creates the understanding that here and now is not all that there is, that there's something better. And as we wait, our hope is set in his return. If we're consumed with the stuff of the world, if we're consumed by the things of the world, and we will not want him, and will not really be waiting for him, because we're simply too preoccupied, grace needs to change our hearts so that we might be a waiting people. We're to wait for him, we're to want him, his glorious appearing with great desire, with, with genuine hope, with grand anticipation, because what he has for you and for me, for us as people, is beyond understanding. So time here on earth is so very short, but eternity is very, 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 very long. But grace enables us and helps us to long for our true home. Grace changes us. Just two more verses to look at. Verse 14 who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Listen, we could have a whole sermon in this one verse by itself. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what makes Christianity distinct. Jesus died to do something, to save us from our sin and to, and to change the way we live as we wait for the blessed hope. He wants to free us, to energize us, to make us his so that we might do good works. So, so look, notice some of the key words there. Redeem. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. Not with money, but by the precious blood of Jesus. He buys us back from sin. He dies to buy our freedom. That's why we love him. And sing about him and, uh, and, and proclaim his message. From all wickedness, you'll notice there. He, he redeems us from all wickedness. Every bit of it. Every stinking bit of it. Uh, he doesn't want us to keep some little stuff hidden in the corner. No. Redemption is to cover it all. So I say to you, um, don't hide it away. I mean, don't struggle on by yourself. Don't stay in the pigsty of sin. Understand and experience grace because that's exactly, that's what's exactly will help you. Purify. There's another key word there. It means to cleanse, to make clean, to be changed. A people that are his very own. Isn't that a wonderful picture? A picture that we can imagine the, the, the Greek word is that a king having won a, a grand big victory uh, has the choice of all the spoils of victory. The booty is it sometimes called and he can choose that bit and that bit and that tended to be mostly money but here we've got a picture of the king picking I love him and her and, and them and that one over there. He, he picks us to be a people for himself. It's a work of grace. Eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. Not just a sense of obligation, but eagerness. Not, ah, oh, do I have to? Or if I don't do it, 
Somebody, somebody else will do it and they can't do it as well. Say, oh, uh, how can I get away with having to do something good? No, not like that. My joy, my, my delight, my purpose is to do what is good. See, grace changes. Grace changes. Do you see the picture here we're getting? Amazing grace saves, teaches, enables us to wait and changes us. It does wonderful things so that in our church and in our family and in our workplace and in our community, God is glorified because of grace. And in verse 15 there, you see there's no slacking off. In many ways, verse 15 should be our our theme song. These then are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. See, the teaching of Titus 2 must be continually brought to people of all ages and all contexts, including our own. That's why we're doing it today. Because it will benefit all. It will benefit all of us. So today, do you need to be encouraged? See, these things, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage. Do you need to be encouraged today? Well then, come and talk to us afterwards. But you don't even need us. You go straight to Jesus. That's what we believe. Receive his grace. Or maybe you need to be rebuked today because you've been slogging on. For years now. And in fact, your slogging has turned to rebelling. And you're in a bad place. And the word perhaps has rebuked you. And the word has called you to grace. We can say such things because... All authority has been given to the church to say such things. Can I tell you, sometimes I stand here and the the evil one would whisper in my ear, and this has happened, what you're saying is mad. You're mad to say it with such conviction. They don't want to hear it. The world doesn't want to hear it. And yeah, I know some of the things that are said from this pulpit and other pulpits are mad. Unless. Unless God tells us to say it with all authority. And he has. With all authority. This is what we're to teach. Let us not despise the word. Let us not despise grace. I I wonder today, has it been a bad week or a bad month or a bad year or maybe longer and you feel rather broken and you're struggling and you're beaten up and maybe even guilty? You... And I, we need grace. There really is only one answer. 
Receive him today. Receive his word today. Receive his gospel. Receive his grace today. Because you see, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of him and his grace that we can live and we can serve and do gospel-shaped ministry. May God help you. May God help us to do that for his glory. Let's pray. Once again, we'll have tea and coffee afterwards. It's an opportunity to chat about many things, but including the things we have thought about this morning, if you want to. Just, um, you want help at all, seek me out, and, or any of the elders will be glad to help you. Lord, thank you for the simplicity of the message in many ways, and thank you for the enabling power that you give to us so that we might be able to live out the gospel. So we pray that your grace might might drown us in a sense, to fill us to to fill us to the very brim and beyond, so that our cup is overflowing. And we pray that we will live to your glory, that you will meet our needs, we will live to your glory, we will enjoy you forever. Thank you for amazing grace. May we experience your grace day and daily in Jesus' name. Amen.